Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Mike. I'm happy to be with you here this morning. Uh, This morning, we're going to be jumping into our Ephesians study in chapter 5. And as we jump into that, uh, we're going to be covering about 21 verses today, and 21 verses is no small chunk of Scripture. So there's just the reality uh, that we are not going to get to everything. But what I want you to know is that we are always putting together devotional studies where we go verse by verse. Now, we have a few still left in the lobby, uh, but if they're gone, we always have those online for you. So those are always are accessible to you. Any book that we've done in the last three years, we have those available for you on our website because I want you to not miss out. I want you to go verse by verse as we study and teach up here from the pulpit. Uh, this morning, we're starting in, verse, in chapter 5, and I would like for us just to pray, talk to the Lord before we jump in. So let's talk to our Heavenly Father. Father, there is truly no one like you. As we come into your presence, we recognize we don't come in having something to offer you but coming in on our knees, humble, needy. Lord, you provide for all our needs. We have nothing that we've ever given you that you didn't already have. So we come before you needing your word, needing your spirit, needing your love, needing your guiding hand in our life to teach us, to show us, and to improve us. So God, I pray that you would do that this morning through your beautiful word. We love you. Speak today in Christ's name. Amen. So when I was a kid, I had an uncle who was really into like drag car racing. So he liked having big, powerful cars. And uh, one day he took me, it was like on a Saturday, we were visiting over at their house. He said, go ahead and jump in my car, Mike. So I jumped in his car. It was a huge car. It had like these wheels that were this wide on the back and the front, I don't know anything about cars, but there were pipes coming out of the front. When you hit the gas, fire would come out of the pipes. So he stuck a quarter in the ashtray and he said, when I hit the gas, I want you to try to get the quarter. If you can get the quarter, you can keep the quarter. 35 years ago, a quarter meant something. So he hits the gas and everything in me is trying to reach the quarter. I had no shot. My whole body just sunk into the seat. I couldn't go anywhere. So it was just went from zero to who knows how fast and it truly pushed me. In chapter five, verse one, I feel like we just all got into a drag car, okay? And he's about to hit the gas. Hear what he expects from you. It starts this way. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children. He starts this way. I want you to imitate God as his children. Be like dad. This is the only place in the New Testament where we're called to imitate God. A couple times we're called to imitate Paul, but we're never called to imitate God except for right here. If that's not enough, it says, and verse two, and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. So here's the standard. Imitate the father, love like the son. Imitate the Father, love like the Son. That's your expectation. That is your standard. I know for me, if I think about that too long, it almost makes me want to just close the book and say, I've got no shot. Why even try? But Paul does this thing that really helps us. It stops us from being overwhelmed. In verse 2, where it says, walk in love, if you have an NIV version, it might say live in love. And there's a couple sections there between an NIV and an NAS, where yours is going to say, the NIV will say live, and the New American Standard says walk. The Greek word there for the one of you, the one or two of you that care is the word peripateo. And the word literally means to walk. Now, figuratively, it means to live in a certain way, but literally it means to walk. Jesus and the disciples in Luke, they were described as 
peripateoing from one place to another. They were walking from one place to the other. When you think in your mind about what it looks like to take a walk, what pops in your head? One thing is that both feet are pointing the same direction. Two, one foot is being placed in front of the other. You're going at a manageable, sustainable pace. There is a here and there is a there in the process that takes place over time. You're going at a pace where you can take in your surroundings and you can see your direction, where you're going, but you also can see that next step that you're about to take. So when you're taking a walk, even in downtown Charleston, both of those things are happening. You can see what's in front of you and the next step to take. So you can look up and say, I'm called to imitate God. I'm supposed to love like Christ. But here's my next step that I'm supposed to take to get there. So what Paul does is he tells us that this one step at a time process stops us from being overwhelmed with the direction and the call of our lives. In fact, this whole walking concept is a part of the entire part of chapter five. So we're going to break up our sermon this way. Verses one through six is walk in the love of Christ. Verses seven through 14 is walk as children of the light. And the verses 15 through 21 are walk in wisdom. In each of these three sections, Paul defines for us, this is the right direction to go, and this is the wrong direction to go. So he makes us look up, right direction, wrong direction. And he also says this, child of God, this is your next step to take. And child of God, this is a pothole to avoid. So in each one of these sections, we're going to talk about direction, steps, and potholes. So the first section is, number, number one is walk in the love of Christ. This is the right direction to go. I'm going to read verses one and two for you again. Again, it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So our love should look like his love. The image that kind of pops in my head when I read this and I think about this is an image like that where you see a father and a child out on the beach, the father's laying his footprints down, and the child follows by putting their foot into the footprints of their father. This is how we are to love like Christ. We see how he loves, and we follow him, putting our feet where his feet have already gone. You're never going to look like, you're never going to act like, you're never going to smell like or walk like someone you don't really know. My first year of marriage, Jen and I were in an interesting circumstance. We lived in Bowling Green, Ohio, went to Bowling Green State University. We were still in college at the time. I remember we lived in this tiny little apartment, pretty sure it was some form of government housing, and we had this cardboard box as our coffee table. We had these hand-me-down couches that were hand-me-downs from someone else to them, then to us. I don't know how to describe the pattern on the couch. It was like Venus flytraps, were like on the, they were terrible. Like I would have embarrassed, I would have been embarrassed to have invited you over to my house. But I also remember that year that I had this little desk and I had this little book called The Harmony of the Gospels. And it worked through chronologically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where I could simply sit and just watch the life of Jesus. So I spent a year just studying Jesus, watching him, paying attention to what he said, how he said it, who he talked to, who he didn't talk to, how he prioritized his time, how he took his next step. And there were multiple things that just stuck out to me. And I think if you spend time with Jesus and read those things, some of these same things will stick out to you. One, he focused on the needs of others 
and he never seemed to be concerned about collecting possessions for himself. He would often stop and spend time with just an individual, like he'd hone in and show them empathy and concern and truly listen to them and talk to them, even though there were crowds all around him wanting his attention. He could slow down for the one and tune out the many. He looked at the people and had relationships, and he used, viewed relationships as an opportunity to give, not an opportunity to take. He viewed relationships as an opportunity to serve, not opportunities to be served. He would look at the crowds, and the Bible said he'd be moved to compassion, and he'd be moved to prayer. Jesus stops at one point and looks at a city, and he cries over the city, realizing that they are going to reject him. He sheds tears with his friends when they're hurting. He never lets social or religious norms dictate who he would spend time with and who he would befriend. Just hours before the cross, Jesus enters into the Passover meal and he sits down with the disciples and he says this, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So even when he knew suffering was imminent, like literally hours away, he walked into that room and said, you know what, I've been looking forward to this. I can't wait just to hang out with you and just spend time with you, my friends. That's the kind of savior that we follow. Those are the footsteps that we're trying to put our feet into. To love like him looks like some of these things. So become a student of the life of Jesus. Walk in his footsteps. So that's the right direction. The wrong direction are in verses three and four. Verses three and four say this, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather thanksgiving. So he identifies a couple potholes for us here. Immorality, impurity, and greed. Each one of these things are ultimately self-centered, okay? Immorality, greed, impurity, it's seeking to get things from other people, trying to get pleasure for ourselves, trying to get things for ourselves. Commentators would agree that in this section, immorality, impurity, the focus here is sexual immorality and sexual impurity. And there's just a reality that that has not gone away since Paul wrote his letter, has it? If anything, I feel like it increases with every generation. I don't know how they dressed back then. I think it was like togas and robes. So I really don't know how sexual temptation was as big of a thing then as it is now. Nowadays, in your pocket, in your phone, you have access to any image you wanna see. You have access to any kind of person that you wanna to talk to. It is a scary, dangerous world. It is truly a sex-saturated culture and a sex-saturated generation. It's hard to get away from it. You can't even watch TV without having sex try to sell you toothpaste, right? It's just unbelievable. So as a parent, I'm gonna tell you one of the things that I do, and again, you don't have to parent like I do. Uh, this is just something that works in my house, at least according to me, maybe not according to my children. Uh, but I have two teenagers in my house, and presently I pay for their phones and I pay for the monthly cost of the phones. And every night they put their phones in the kitchen, not with them in the bedroom, and I have full access to those phones at all times. It's not because I don't trust my children. Actually, I trust my children a lot, but I don't trust every single person who have, has access to my person, my person, my children through the phone. And if you have a phone and you have a phone number and you're on social media, anybody can get access to you. So I'm going to keep track of what's going on in my kids' lives because I care about them. 
because I want to protect them, and I realize that we are in a sex-saturated culture. Steve Neal is one of our pastors here, and he's led some classes with parents and grandparents on how to help deal with this with kids. If you have any more questions on that, go talk to Steve. I've already asked him. He was okay with me putting his picture up there. So go talk to him, have, you know, have a meeting with him, and ask him some questions. Verse 4 reminded us that we should have no filthiness in silly talk or coarse jesting. So the context, again, is sexual immorality, sexual impurity. So when we're talking about silly talk, coarse jesting, uh, and filthiness, we're talking about language and jokes that pertain to sexual immorality. Things are just inappropriate to say out loud. It's not saying you can't watch The Office, you can't watch Seinfeld, you can't go back in the day and watch some old episodes of Cheers and laugh at, you know, Diane and all those guys. Uh, it doesn't say that. But if content is starting to move in a sexual direction and people are joking about it, and it's inappropriate and impure, you maybe need to step back and think twice. Peter O'Brien, who's a commentator that I enjoy, says this. He says, coarse joking has suggestive, suggestive overtones and double entendres. All three terms refer to a dirty mind expressing itself in vulgar conversation. This kind of language must be avoided as utterly inappropriate among those who God has set apart as holy. Nowadays, I work up there in an office on that floor, third floor. I don't have to deal with this, which you should expect, right? In a church, people aren't walking around joking like this. But I worked for well over a decade in a gym as a personal trainer where clients, coworkers, gym members, this was normal. Every single day, this was happening around me all the time. And for some of you, in your places of work, in your neighborhood, with the people you watch sports with, in your friend groups, this is happening. You need to negotiate this. The Bible says that you need to withdraw to some extent from this type of joking, this type of talk. We respect and we, we honor the way Lord has made us, our bodies, and sexuality. So you pull back. You don't engage. I'm not saying be a prude, but be wise. Be wise. And depending on your environment, this is a harder command for some of you than for others. So those are the potholes. So rather than stepping in the potholes, Verse 4 tells us to engage in and be filled with thankfulness. Thankfulness. So what is the antidote to impurity and immorality? It's thankfulness. How do you get rid of greed? Thankfulness. It functions as the antidote. If you're full of thankfulness, there's no room for greed in you. It just goes away. It has no power. So what is the best next step to avoid the pothole? It's thankfulness. Always thankfulness. Verses 5 and 6, which we don't have time to go deeply into, are two warnings. Paul just throws them out, and he says, if you're going in the wrong direction, intentionally, consistently, if you're stepping in potholes and it doesn't seem to bother you anymore, you need to ask yourself the question, have you really ever placed your faith in Christ? The wrath of God may still be on you because you really don't know him. So what he's saying is you need to take this seriously. If you've just given up and you're living life however you want to, you need to stop and relearn the gospel and ask yourself the question, do I know Christ? It's a legit warning. The second point, we are called to walk as children of the light. Paul reminds us that we used to be going in the wrong direction. Verse 7 says this, Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. The Bible says that there was a day and time when you and I didn't know Christ, we didn't know God. This darkness 
was normal. This was your life, your heart, your mind, your soul was filled with this kind of darkness. You couldn't see what was in front of you. You could stumble, you could fall, and there was no one to pick you up. You lived outside of God's grace. You lived outside of God's forgiveness. There was no hope. You were literally in the darkness. The Bible even says that you loved this darkness and you hated God. As a Christian, you are now a child of the light, but the Bible says your tendency still is to fall back into this darkness. Sometimes this darkness, even as a Christian, can feel like home. And in this darkness, sometimes we can begin to hide things, hide things from God, hide things from others. Here are some of the potholes. Number one, if you look behind you, the word on the wall is the word shame. There's just a reality that in your life, you've had conversations with people. You've had people treat you in such a way that you question whether or not God could ever love someone like you. Guilt. Some of us are ridden with guilt. We think about the fact that we have done things that just seem unimaginable, and we do them over and over again, and we ask ourselves the question, could God ever forgive someone like me? For some Christians, you are riddled with fear, day-to-day -day fear. Will God one day leave me like that one person in that one relationship destroyed me and left me? Will one day God leave me? The gospel, the light of the gospel kills shame. Why? Because he says, your beloved children in him fully accepted. The gospel kills guilt because in Christ, every sin you've ever committed is fully dealt with and paid for. There is no room left for guilt. The gospel kills guilt. Fear, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit now and forever until you see him face to face. There is no fear of rejection. The gospel kills shame. The gospel kills guilt. The gospel kills fear. Over here, the Bible says that we are called to produce fruit, fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. But the reality is, is when we wander back into the darkness, instead of living in the light as children of the light, when we go the wrong direction, we begin producing rotten fruit. Rotten fruit looks like the things that we sometimes do that we know we shouldn't do, things that we say that we know we shouldn't say, relationships that we shouldn't have, thoughts that should never enter into our mind. All of us are struggling with rotten fruit. We need to expose it according to scripture in the light of Christ. The gospel needs to be exposed on rotten fruit. And we need to go to him asking for forgiveness, receiving the grace of Christ and changing into fruit that is characteristic of the gospel. Up here, do you see that? It's a bag, it's a trash bag. I don't know what's in it. Actually, only you know what's in it. In those dark rooms up in the corners, sometimes we put things that we don't want anyone ever, ever to see. There might be a thing in your life that you've never talked about. It could be something that you've done, something that was done to you, a relationship that just crashed and burned. All of us oftentimes have something in our life that we've never talked to God about. What I want to encourage you to do today is look inside of it, open it up, talk to the Lord, and maybe talk to another person that needs to hear about this. It needs to be exposed to the light. The things that are not exposed to the gospel grow and become stronger and eventually point our feet in the wrong direction. It is only in Christ and in Christ alone that we can walk out of the darkness. Only in him. The Bible says in verse 8, B, it says, but now you are light in the Lord, walk 
as children of the light. So this is the right direction. In terms of next steps, verse 9 says this, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So what does it look like to take next steps in walking in the light? It looks like righteousness, goodness, truth. Verse 10 says this, and we're, we're called to be trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So learning is one of our values of Bible Center. If you look back here in the lobby against the window, we have seven values listed. One of those values is the value of learning. Why? Because God has called us to be lifelong learners. One of the things we're called to learn is how to please the Lord with our actions, with our minds, with our thoughts. And this is an ongoing forever process. So what is one of the next steps for you walking in the right direction to imitating God and loving like Christ and walking in the light? It's learning. Learning how to please the Lord. Verse 11 says this, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. There are some of those potholes again, right? In your life, we do not participate in those deeds of darkness. It could be anything. You know your life. It could be addictions. It could be struggles. It could be thoughts. It could be desires. It could be envy. It says in verse 11, instead of participating in deeds of darkness, we expose them to the gospel. We expose them to the light. So we have to avoid those potholes. If we don't deal with the stuff in our darkness, those things begin to take over. They redirect our steps. They wreck us. In my house, uh, Jen and I's bedroom gets super cold at night. So the rest of the house stays one temperature, and then it's like an igloo in the back where Jen and I's bedroom is. So the way we deal with that is we'll keep the door open between our bedroom and the family room. But we have this dog. His name is Captain America. Still not sure why we named him that, but his name's Captain America. And Captain America sometimes in the middle of the night will go out into the family room, look out the window and see a leaf or a chipmunk and start barking, like, you know, showing them who's boss. So what that does is it wakes all of us up. So what we started doing was we put a baby gate across the door so we could leave the door open. So Captain would stay in with us. Well, we went about three weeks without the gate, okay? Three weeks without the gate, the dog was doing well. Jen decided one night, not mentioning it to me, that she was going to put the gate back up. So some mornings I get up before my wife and it's pitch black and I go walking through the doorway to go out into the family room, not seeing the gate in my bare feet. I hit that thing, like pretty good speed. I hit it and it bends me right over it. Like I hit it, I crash, I'm dangling on either side of the gate. I thought it was going to break, but I just hang on it. And I hurt lots of parts. Like I was in pain all over my body and I made a lot of noise, didn't I? Yeah, so I made a lot of noise. So in a very not-so-godly moment, I stand up, I pick up the gate, and I throw it into the room, and I said something like, so I guess we're putting the gate up, huh? <laughs> and she just goes, I'm so sorry. So if we don't deal with the stuff that's in the dark, I mean, it's going to wreck us. We're going to trip on it. We're going to step in those potholes. It's going to mess us up. It's going to push us in the wrong direction. Point three. We're called to walk in wisdom. Right away in verse 15, we're giving two, given two directions. Therefore, be careful how you walk, how you peripateo, not as unwise, but as wise. He's going to discuss two potholes. One is, do not be foolish. That's a pothole. Two, do not get drunk. Another pothole. And then he's going to go through four next steps that we should take. And we're going to work through those four next steps, and we'll hit the potholes along the way. Verse 16 says this, Make the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. Make the most of your time. When we look at our life, we have to 
think about the fact that everything we do, every opportunity matters. Every moment you have with family, with friends, with neighbors, with children, those matter. We need to plan and prioritize our life around godly desires, godly priorities. To not live this way is foolish. It's letting the evil influence us rather than us influencing the evil. We're in evil days. Make every moment matter. Every relationship you have matters. One thing that's unique about you is you have your family. No one else has your family situation. You have your group of friends that are unique to you. You have your unique mission field or circle of influence where you have the people you work with, the people you live around, the people you're friends with. They need you because the days are evil. They need to be hearing from you about God's love being demonstrated by you, Christ's love and compassion. We have opportunities all around us to not take advantage of those is stepping in a pothole, is living foolishly. The second one is in verse 17 where it says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the second one is to understand what the will of the Lord is. So as a pastor, if I had to list like my top five questions that I get asked, this would be in my top five that I get asked. Mike, how do I know what God's particular will is for my life? right? Wouldn't it be nice if we all knew exactly what that is? Rarely does God give that to you. If he does, it's usually in the form of a talking donkey or burning bush, you know, something like that for God to get across to you his personal will for your life. You and I have to put in so much effort just to live out his revealed will to our life that don't expect those rare things. Like you and I need to focus on imitating God, loving like Christ, walking in the light, walking in wisdom. And if you do those things everywhere where you are, you are living out God's will for your life. It's not independent of the verses that it was located in. It resides in the verses, okay? So know the Lord's will based upon the verses around this content. So this is how we know the will of the Lord, walking in the light, imitating Christ, focus on the revealed will of the Lord, and your personal will will just be worked out for you. The third one comes from verse 18. It says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then verses 19 and 20 talk about what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. It says this, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So number three is we need to be filled with the Spirit. People have a lot of different positions, okay, when it comes to alcohol, and a lot of them fall within biblical guidelines, but this is one of the biblical guidelines, okay? Here we're called to recognize that if alcohol is controlling our words, our decisions, our emotions, or any part of us that's restricting the Holy Spirit from filling us, you've drank too much. If you choose to drink, if there's a part of your life that the Spirit cannot fill because of your drinking, you've gone too far. You need to cut back. This is one of those guidelines. When the Bible says, be filled, that word filled is in the present imperative middle tense. Okay, that's a gold star. If you tell me later what that is, gold star present imperative middle tense. All that means is this is an ongoing, repetitive, continuous thing. 
You are to be filled with the Lord repetitively, continuously, ongoingly. It's not like a one and done thing, okay? You always need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if your choices, whether it's alcohol or anything else that you put in your body, stops you from being able to experience this repetitive, ongoing, being filled with the Spirit, you should reconsider how much of it you're taking or whether you should be taking it or drinking it at all. We just have to live within those biblical guidelines. The overflow of being filled with the Spirit is seen in our words. It says up here that we're speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. Like, I'm never going to sing a song to you. I'm just not. I'm more the make a melody in your heart kind of guy. But like what we're saying here is that we should be encouraging one another. We need to hear about God's love from one another. We have to be reminded of his goodness from one another. We need to share stories of what God's doing in our life to one another that we might help one another and build one another up. In the book of Hebrews, chapter three, verse 13, it says, every day, as long as it's called today, encourage one another so that your heart does not become hardened. Some of us can have hard hearts because we live in a world with no encouragement. Like we're designed to help one another. We go arm in arm and encourage one another, just like it says here, so that our hearts do not harden. The fourth step we're called to take is in verse 21, it says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another. Submitting yourselves to one another. Sometimes we get kind of focused on the verses that talk about submission and marriage relationships. We just overlook this verse. But this verse is huge. It's talking about every relationship, every person. Submit yourselves to one another. The word submit means to place in an orderly fashion under something, okay? Under something, either in a compulsory way or in a voluntary way, we're submitting and subordinating ourselves to someone else. This is the word that's used when it talks about Jesus submitting himself to his parents when he was a boy. We get low. This is a genderless, ageless, non-race-based command. The general rule of thumb is, is when we're with one another, we're always trying to get low, faster, quicker than the other person. It's almost like a competition to see who's going to serve first. When we're functioning correctly in the body of Christ, you're going out of your way to get low, is a race to get low, not to get high, not to be served, but to serve. To get that backwards is to miss what he's telling us, is to fall in a pothole rather than to take the next step. Jesus, the creator of the universe, got on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. He literally cleaned dirt out from between their toes. He's within hours of dying on the cross for them, yet he still demonstrates submission and service to them. So what does this look like in your personal life? To live out verse 21. I kind of feel like I shouldn't have to say some of these out loud, but I'm just going to. It's good to hear this and to be reminded of this. It does not matter if someone has a different ethnic or economic background than you. It doesn't matter if they don't look like you. We go out of our way to serve them and to submit to them. We ask ourselves the question, how do I clean the dirt out from in between their toes? Regardless of who they are, we're always asking that question. If you're interacting with a child, get down on their level, look them in the eye, ask them their name, ask yourself the question, how can I care about them? How can I get low even when I'm talking to a child? If you're interacting with the other gender, you go out of your way to serve and submit to them. The word does teach that wives submit to husbands and we all submit to spiritual leaders, 
But for example, my wife is not called to submit to any man unless he is, their, he is her direct spiritual leader. When Matt and Sarah and I and Jen go out and play cards, even though Matt's the senior pastor, if Matt plays a card wrong, you better believe Jen's gonna call him out, okay? Like we're in an environment where we're friends. And in that environment, we all go out of our way to submit to one another. Men, if there is anything inside of you that causes you to think that one gender is better than the other, or that one gender was created by God to serve the other, you have misunderstood and you have misread scripture. When the Old Testament describes Eve as a suitable helper made by God, he's describing more of a picture of a co-warrior, not a maid. One to go to war with, not one to serve you and make you food. The picture is co-warrior. Husbands, the words submit to your husband were not spoken to you. They were spoken to your wife. If you just focus on the words that are spoken to you, then you and I will do a better job being husbands. The words spoken to you are, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. Christ demonstrates this love by getting on his knees and cleaning dirty feet. He doesn't focus on comfort. He doesn't focus on his possessions. He doesn't focus on his needs. In fact, he continues to give himself away until there is nothing left. So I'm going to encourage you to love your wife by outdoing her in works of service. You and me, we make dinner. We change the diapers. We do the dishes. We pick up our own clothes, clean the floor. We do the grocery shopping and we do it without being asked to do it. That might be the hardest part, right? So we go out of our waves to submit to and to love our wife like Christ has loved the church. Some might say, and I've heard this, but pastor, my role is to provide. And then she's supposed to do everything else. Okay, in some families, Jesus died on the cross and provided salvation for you and then still served you by getting on his knees. He provided and he served. Husbands, we can provide and we can serve if that's the role you have in your family. We can do both because Jesus did it for us. I can do better. You can do better. If Jesus can serve the church, sacrifice for the church, give up his last breath for the church, you and I can pick up our socks, can't we? We can put the toilet seat down, can't we? So let's just work on that. Husbands, let's do better, me included. So what should this look like in the church to live out this submitting to one another? It should almost feel like we're in a competition to get low. If all of us are called to submit to one another, then we're going out of our way to try to be the first one to get low, to submit, to serve, to support. That's just how we think. We serve our children. We don't go for the best parking spot. We give the best parking spots to someone else and we get out of the way. We volunteer to drive the bus. We greet people at the door. We smile, we shake hands. We change diapers, we get rid of trash. Right now at Bible Center, we have serve gaps all over the building in worship, in welcome, in children's ministries. We have places where we need people to help. If we were all living out verse 21, there would be more people serving than there are places to serve, but that's not our current situation. Here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. In the back seat in front of you, right now, grab this card. Some of you aren't grabbing it. I said, grab the card, please grab the card. This is a submit moment. <laughs> Thank you. Um, grab the card. 10% of you right now are doing 90% of the work. And I know all of you by name probably. There's a bunch of us that need to step up and do a little more. 
if you presently aren't serving in any way, I want you to write your name on here. Give me a way to contact you. And here's four places where we're asking you to consider serving. With Michelle at the Maker Center, maybe with Family Ministries downstairs, or with our hospitality ministry, our welcome team. If you're not sure where you want to go, just say, Coach, put me in. Put a four down on your piece of paper. And when the basket goes by for tithes and offerings, slide that card in. We'll call you this week and see what might work for you. To live out this scripture means we're serving one another like Christ has served us. We go out of our way to do so. Concluding thoughts. Have you taken the time to look at your feet and see what direction they're pointing? Do you have your eyes set on imitating God and loving like Christ, walking in the light and walking in wisdom? Are you looking up and seeing where you're going? Are you aware of your next step? I would like you this week to plan out some of your next steps to move in the right direction in those different categories. Where are there potholes in your life that presently you're not aware of? What lurks in your dark rooms? There are still parts of your life and mine that we haven't fully given to Christ. What is lurking in there? If we took a flashlight in, what would we find there? Would there be shame? Would there be guilt? Would there be fear? Would there be rotten fruit? Would there be something that nobody knows about? It's time to get real with the Lord. It's time to get real with your circle of spiritual friends and to go deeper. Corporately, let's serve. When everyone serves, everything grows. When everything grows, everything grows when everyone serves. You can say it either way and it still means the same thing. But what we need is we need everyone to step up and play their part, play their role. God has designed you to do so. When that happens, Christ has promised to build and to grow his church. We're not gonna reach a city until we're changing diapers. We're not gonna reach a city until everyone finds a place to serve and take care of one another. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you as children who need you. Lord, I pray as, as you lead us forward that we would walk in your steps, that we would look more like you, our Father, in the way we love, uh, in the way we act, in the way we think. Help us to walk in the light. Help us see the things in our life that, needs to, that we need to get out of our life. Use the gospel to expose those things. Grow as changes. Help us serve. Let us be the first ones to submit, the first ones to clean dirty feet. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.